So it's currently 10, 11 a.m. And it's already 80 degrees with the humidity making it feel like 86. I'm currently in, in Rock Creek Park and it actually feels kind of nice. The, you know, there's a lot of trees that are sort of protecting me from the sun, keeping me shaded. It actually feels kind of cool. Now I'm in Columbia Heights and there's a few trees around, but not many. You know, I'm pretty much fully exposed to the sun and I can feel, you know, definitely feel a lot hotter, a little less breathable air, just feels heaviness. Hi, my name is Marcelo Jauregui Volpe, and this is The Climate Divide, a new podcast from Hola Cultura, supported by Spotlight DC and the Fund for Investigative Journalism. In that clip you just heard, I was trying to compare and contrast the feels like temperature between Rock Creek Park, our large urban park in Northwest DC, and the busy shopping area around the Columbia Heights metro station in Ward 1. I chose that section of Columbia Heights because it's a heat island. During Ola Cultura's investigative series in the summer of 2021, we created heat maps using data produced by Heat Islands Campaign, funded by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and led by Vivek Shandas of Portland State University and Jeremy Hoffman of the Science Museum of Virginia. These maps helped us determine the warmest and coolest neighborhoods in DC. If you were to walk out of the Columbia Heights metro station, you'd notice that there aren't a lot of trees around. The Columbia Heights shopping plaza next to the station consists of large buildings and wide roads and sidewalks. This is the perfect formula for the formation of a heat island, as the concrete and asphalts in the area absorb heat, which causes the surface and ambient temperatures to rise. Trees are crucial for heat mitigation, and that is something that the people over at Casey Trees know very well. This DC organization plants trees at people's homes, schools, churches, and other community spaces in parklands across the city as part of the organization's mission to protect and increase the district's tree canopy. Kelsey Desmond, Casey Tree's Youth Programs Manager, says their tree planting department will also replace dead trees on private lands and prune trees in the wintertime. Our goal as an organization is to reach a 40% tree canopy by the year 2032. And that is aligning with the city's sustainability goals. So Washington, D.C. has the Sustainable D.C. 2.0 plan. And part of that is access to nature and green spaces throughout the city. And that can achieve a few goals as well of cleaner air, cleaner waterways, lower temperatures in the summer. As climate change continues to impact the nation, cities around the country, including D.C., are realizing they need to protect their residents from extreme heat events. We spoke with applied climatologist, Dr. Lawrence S. Coxstein, who studies the urban heat island effect in DC and other cities. Many cities like Los Angeles are experimenting with white pavement and white roads and so on. So there are many places that are doing this. And then of course there's tree planting. Many cities are now into planting more trees because trees also either absorb or reflect solar radiation. They encourage evapotranspiration, which cools the city. We also got some insight on the large-scale impact trees can have in a neighborhood from Dr. Mayra Rodriguez-Gonzalez, a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Vermont, who works with their spatial analysis laboratory in order to apply urban tree canopy cover assessments across the U.S. 
trees in a city can provide us with shade and the shade is going to be able to cool local temperatures. In an urban environment, you're going to have a lot of imperial surface area, which refers to just built infrastructure. You're going to have a lot of roads, a lot of sidewalks, a lot of buildings. And all that with the reflectance of the sun is going to make the city to be really hot. That's why when you're walking down a street, if you have one side that has trees and the other one doesn't, and you choose to walk on the side without trees, it's going to be really hot. And then you say, why am I walking this way? I might as well just cross the street and go where the shade is at. And you're going to notice immediately like how cooler it is and how better it is. So in that microscale effect that you can see just by walking on the shaded area, those same impacts carry on a larger scale throughout the city. So you're going to be seeing that neighborhoods that have more vegetation tend to have also cooler temperatures. But more so, you're also going to be seeing impacting, for example, in energy savings because you're you're not going to be putting on much pressure and like using so much AC or you're just going to have more energy efficient buildings, for example, just by having those cooler temperatures that are associated with higher amounts of vacation. Jennifer Lee, a staff attorney and adjunct professor at the Georgetown University Law Center's Harrison Institute for Public Law, says reducing the temperature in an isolated area rather than globally is more of an adaptive measure. So maybe a better way of thinking about this approach is reactionary versus proactive, right? Because planting trees in my backyard is not going to by itself going to solve climate change or reduce global temperature rises, but it will make my home feel cooler. This is The Climate Divide, a new podcast from Hola Cultura, supported by Spotlight DC and the Fund for Investigative Journalism. This podcast has also been made available to listeners of WAMU 88.5. NPR's Consider This Podcast, and WTOP Radio. As summer temperatures continue to increase, D.C.'s most vulnerable communities are those in wards 1, 4, and 5. Residents who are working outside, such as street vendors, construction workers, and landscapers, are affected. But there are more. People experiencing homelessness and those with a variety of medical or mental health conditions and disabilities are also among D.C.'s most vulnerable, due to the heat exacerbating their existing conditions. Even those living in relatively well-treated areas of the city, such as Ward 7 and 8, are affected because of two things. Ward 7 and 8 have a higher concentration of people with medical sensitivities, and because those wards are the poorest wards in the city. So people may spend more time walking or waiting for the bus with the sun beating down. To discuss the positive impact trees bring to extreme heat climate, we spoke with D.C. resident Christine Smith, who lives in Ward 5. So I'm actually fortunate to live in a neighborhood that has lots and lots of trees not too far from here and also prioritizes keeping the trees, right? Not just like, that's cute for a tree and then now let's tear down some new space. No, the trees are mature, they're there, I live near Fort Lincoln Park and that's a huge part, but again, lots of trees and it's significant. Like walking the dogs twice, three times a day sometimes, you can feel it, you know, it's obvious but you can feel it when you're walking under the sun and then you get that like relief from the trees. And so part of the building material, all those things that we can be, you know, more intentional about like beautification and making sure these trees actually have time in the floor, like the wonderful trees around us. The difference is drastic. I mean, it's probably good 30 degrees cooler too than in the parking lot, just because we're under this nice shade. So we need more trees. That'd be amazing. Planting trees isn't the only challenge to having more vegetation in a city. The survival of the trees is another significant obstacle. When we spoke to Kelsey, she broke down the various factors that stand in the way of trees surviving. Trees take a decade or several decades to come to maturity, which is why it's so important to plant trees now and in future years to make sure there's a healthy, robust tree canopy throughout the time. 
but I know that KC trees specifically, the trees that we plant have over 90% survival rate, which is really good. I know a lot of trees do suffer. Urban trees have a tough life. They have adverse soil conditions. Sometimes the water and air is polluted. People will hit them with their cars. I think I saw a statistic, something like 80% of trees that live in the city have some car damage. So more than anything, I think folks should be aware, like when you're driving your car, there's a living thing living on the side of the road. So if you scrape off its bark, that can really hurt the tree or you know knocking its branches down. But the trees that we plant have an over 90% survival rate. It's clear that a mindset shift is needed and that we need to realize that trees and nature in general provide a finite amount of resources. Dr. Mayra Rodriguez-Gonzalez incorporates this perspective into her work. So we have a lot of towns and cities throughout the United States that are interested in being able to quantify, to figure out how to manage it, what decisions will be the most. And that's where the tree canopy assessment come in, especially now in, in urban spaces where we are recognizing, you know, how important it is to preserve nature, to provide spaces that we are supposed to be looking at both ecological and the social side together. That is something that is inherently part of our cities and how we build them, that we should be considering it. And so I definitely see that it's something that has always been present, but kind of like uh, evolving, right, to keep up with it the time. And especially now that we are talking more openly about the different disparities that we see among different communities and different populations, we're able to also advocate towards implementing these concepts and this knowledge that we know about these existing disparities into the urban tree kind of the assessments as well. Darren Jones is the president of the Pleasant Plains Civic Association. He grew up in Pleasant Plains, which is now known to be the single hottest district recorded during an afternoon reading in single-member districts 1A10 in Parkview and Pleasant Plains. We didn't do anything more than just buy ice cream and sit in the park under the shade. We spent most of our time outside. At the time, we didn't have air conditioning for much of my childhood, so we would spend our time outside, but we would just sit under the shade. We would sit in front of the house or sit on the on the porch. And we had some large trees. Some of the trees have died. A lot of the uh, larger trees in the neighborhood have died. They're starting to put new trees, but the new trees are smaller and don't have the canopy, the tree canopy that the old trees had. Sometimes it's the residents themselves that provide pushback towards tree planting. This usually has to do with a lack of trust towards the government or nonprofits. When we try to target tree planting to address some of those disparities that we are able to see, community members sometimes are not as open to tree planting. For example, they're not as open to a governmental agency or even a small nonprofit to come in and bring trees to plant for various reasons because there's a lot of distrust. Some people didn't want trees. I don't think people understand that having trees in your neighborhood, one, provides shade, two, reduces the heat, and three, I've seen studies where the more trees there are, it seems like they correspond with neighborhoods that have greater income. The fact that those relationships of trust do not exist sometimes between those other institutional powers and then community members from certain populations make it very hard, I think, sometimes to be able to carry forward some tree planting plans that are trying to address some of those impacts that we have been seeing, all of those disparities. So that's something that really difficult it, but can be solved by basically investing the time and the resources that are needed to be able to build that trust again, whether it's by being involved with the community by bringing the community into the plans from the beginning and asking their opinions and their insights. 
This kind of collaboration between the community and the local government is what helped redevelop Sherman Avenue in Ward 1. Back then with Councilmember Graham, he was our Ward 1 councilman. I think it was his last term in office when President Obama came into office in 2008. And then we had that downturn. Councilman Graham worked with us to get some money to redevelop Sherman Avenue. And what we did is we worked with Councilman Graham and the city and the people who were going to do the construction to make sure that there were trees in the middle of Sherman Avenue. So there would be a tree canopy in the middle of Sherman Avenue and also trees on the sidewalks. It was more of a boulevard, I guess, before then, where you just had people speeding through and lots of asphalt. Now we have the trees in the middle of the street and we have trees on the sidewalks to try to slow people down as they come through, but also to provide some shade and some cooling of the neighborhood. So we work for Councilman Graham to do that. Sherman Meadows was a successful solution that was intended to solve other problems. The Sherman Avenue reconstruction focused on slowing traffic down, and the tree planting efforts were also intended to reduce flood risk not the rising warming temperatures in the area. Nevertheless, both efforts resulted in unintentional cooling effects. There's very little public awareness on heat islands and the effects they have on human health and energy consumption. However, this is changing today, as more people become aware of the importance of tree cover, even in communities that have historically been excluded from development discussions. I think generally it is a very, you know, white dominant field and it goes from both like my own personal experience and then also just from history. And so many key pieces of the environmentalism movement and key like books and narratives, they're just so white centered and we're missing so much of the voices of our indigenous communities, of our black communities, our Hispanic communities. It's just so centered on one perspective that we're missing so much of it. The Climate Divide is edited by me, Claudia Peralta Torres, and Jose Luis Mendoza. Additional interviews were conducted by Lucia Matamoros. Christine McDonald is a series editor and executive director of Hola Cultura. This project is supported by Spotlight DC, the Capital City Fund for Investigative Journalism, and the Fund for Investigative Journalism. <laughs>